G'day, I'm Rob. And I'm Dave. And you're listening to the Doctor Who Show, closing out the month of February. February, Dave. And yes, that's some new theme music you just heard. Dave, hello. Hello, welcome to 2021. Yes, this is our first episode together for 2021, unless you discount the uh, the little cameo I made at the very end of the closing <laughs> credits in the last episode, which I don't think many people heard, actually. It's funny, I was thinking before, it feels like we haven't spoken for ages, but in fact, in the meantime, we've done a Revolution of the Daleks review, we've done some primary sources, mm. uh, we did our Mandalorian Season 2 review, we've actually spoken a lot, it just feels yeah. like a long time since we did it in this format. Yeah, it's, it's so... So weird, actually. But uh, look, here we are tonight, listeners. We're going to be talking stories for Doctor Who virgins. This was a uh, suggestion from JT, one of our listeners. JT's actually got an email at the end of this show as well, Dave. Uh, But back in November, JT suggested we do stories we would recommend to someone who's never seen Doctor Who before, from, from the first Doctor, the second Doctor, third Doctor, and so on. So I'm really looking forward to tonight. Yeah, absolutely. And just to be clear, yes, we're talking about virgins in the first time sense, because I don't know about you, Rob, but I'm a very loyal Qantas customer, so uh, <laughs> not not the Virgin Airlines. No, no, not Virgin Airlines uh, at all. Now, look, before we get into uh, our usual news and short topics, before we get to that main topic, uh, I do always like to read out iTunes reviews, if we've had them. And we've had one. Great. Yes, this comes from The Battle Midway. Not The Battle of Midway, but The Battle Midway. Uh, from the United States of America. And he or she has said, uh, five stars, love this. Please do a top 10 doctors slash companions. Well, I'll take five stars any day of the week from any country. <laughs> Absolutely. And I guess there's a few ways we could take this top 10 doctors companions. What I think they mean is the top 10 doctor companion combos so maybe you'd have like the fourth doctor a couple of times in the list you might have the fourth doctor and sarah and the fourth doctor and leela in the same list that's how i'm taking it when they say top 10 doctors companions otherwise you're just naming 10 of 13 doctors yeah that that's very interesting um i could probably put the third doctor in there three times in fact um, <laughs> but no that's a uh, it's an interesting topic top 10s mm. interesting i think we need to workshop that a bit rob We do, Uh, and we've got time because we have actually planned out the rest of this year. We have, we have. Well, most of it. There's always a few surprises. Hmm, indeed. (laughs) Shall we get into the news? We shall, and Rob, you're leading us off this week. I am. Look, Radio Times has had an interview with Chris Chibnall where he's mentioned uh, a few few choice cuts about John Bishop, the new companion. I thought this is quite interesting, so we'll, we'll mention it here. Chibnall has said about him, I've always got my eye out for performers who are loved and wondering how good they might be as actors. There's such a great history of performers who start out as comedians transitioning into becoming terrific actors, the best example being Robbie Coltrane and Cracker. John's somebody I've been keeping a beady eye on for years. He's quietly built up a body of work through working with people like Jimmy McGovern and Ken Loach, while also doing a dozen other things like stand-up and autobiography, interview shows, podcasts and travel documentaries. As ever, on Doctor Who, we put him through a rigorous multi-session audition process, which he engaged with brilliantly and humbly. John and his character bring a different flavour and different humour to the show. We're loving him in the rushes and having him as part of the production. Yeah, look, I think that's really good news. And I, I certainly, as you went, Rob, 
was not one of these, oh my God, I can't believe they've cast this guy. I can't mm. believe they've cast a comedian because we're very open and, and frankly, we don't really know this guy being Australian and he's, he's not really sort of part of our, our media thing. But I think it is very reassuring though to just hear that he has gone through a proper audition process. He's gone through the screen tests. This isn't John Nathan Turner just hiring Bonnie Langford <laughs> without even you know asking his script editor. It's, it's all above board, guys. We can all chill. Or Colin Baker, like, oh, I saw this guy at a wedding uh, party. Yeah. <laughs> he was quite funny. Let's cast him as the Doctor. Fantastic. <laughs> that's that's truly At least Colin had been in Ark of Infinity first. Yeah, that's uh, true. Uh, but, 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 yeah, look, I think this is just a reassuring note to anybody who thinks this guy was sort of cast sight unseen. He's jumped through the hoops. Let's see what he delivers. Yeah, I, I was quite happy to hear about the multi-session audition process uh, as well. I thought, oh, geez, okay, they're, they're taking it quite seriously. Yeah, no, that that's good. Um, I've got another piece from the Radio Times here, Rob. Mm-hmm. And it's another one of these uh, delightful Radio Times ones where the headline doesn't quite tell you the full facts. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the headline was, Piper says she wouldn't go back to Doctor Who. Now, which, that's a first. Normally, the yes. people are all over saying, oh, of course I'd go back. That's right. So it quite surprised me, and particularly given that Billy Piper has been very supportive of the show and you know acknowledged the big role that it played in her career. But when you actually read the quotes from Billy Piper, it says, "I wouldn't go back," she said. "It's a great role, but you're away from your kids for so long. My experience was that you are in Wales for nine months solid, and as a job, it dominates your life. It's mainstream family viewing, so you can't really escape it." It feels like it makes you very, very famous. So I think what Billy Piper actually has said is that she doesn't want to go back and do a full season of nine months, which mm. is a very reasonable thing to say. I don't think she's saying at all that if she was asked to do a cameo in the 60th anniversary, she wouldn't do that. Yeah, yeah, I think that's very fair. Uh, moving on, I've got a piece also from the Radio Times. They've they've had some coups uh, lately. Uh, Sylvester McCoy is out there promoting a movie called The Owners. Nice Doctor Who tie-in. This is a Maisie Williams vehicle, this movie, uh, which oh, I okay. did not know about. Yeah, But during this promotion of The Owners, he got talking about Doctor Who, as he's wont to do, and he said something very, very interesting. He said... Stephen Moffat, the second showrunner of the 21st Century Doctors, I was having dinner with him once, and he said to me that up until I arrived, Doctor Who was more cartoon-like, you know, as it was meant to be, and it was very successful. But because I was given the key, and producer John Nathan Turner had given up caring about it, really, me and the script editor, Andrew Cartmel, just got on with it, and we were ignorant of Doctor Who, didn't see much of it, because he... Cartmel was Canadian and had been working in theatre. I suddenly realised that actually there's more to this character than being just a cartoon and it's much more fun trying to do the dark side, especially if you're known as this comic person, because you know the other side of a comics coin is tragedy. I saw this Rob, Mm -hmm. and I thought this was a very good example of why you don't let actors tell history. (laughs) Go on. <laughs> because, because, and I've seen many actors, and, and particularly when you look at some of the Blake Seven actors and actresses like Paul Darrow and Jacqueline Pierce, especially, they sort of give this view of a character or a show or the history, and you go, Were you watching this? Like, like, you know, and, and I sort of read this, I sort of think about everything we know about the show as viewers, everything we know about the production. And yeah, look, some of it's, some of it's right, like JT was certainly. Um, 
not as aggressively involved in the scripts as he was back in his earlier time as producer. Some of them just go, where's this coming from? So it was a very interesting insight, I think, into uh, McCoy's views. I'm not sure that it's something I'll be calling a, dare I say, primary source. <laughs> Very good. Nice plug, actually. <laughs> <laughs> now, to round out news, I think you've got one more. Yes, I have. So just a quick update on where we are in Australia with the Blu-ray releases, because mm. after the change of licensee to distribute them in Australia, there have been lots of murmurs and lots of rumblings and some even bigger than usual delays. But... We can confirm that the announced season 24, which I think has been announced in the UK since uh, we last recorded. So for those who are getting your Blu-ray news from us in the UK, um, season 24 is coming. That's very exciting. Mm -hmm. That has been put up for pre-order in Australia, as has season eight, which for a while there it looked like it might not be. But Rob, you did some digging. I did. I did because this rumor went around that in the UK, they announced season eight and then season 24, whereas out here, they just announced season 24. And so people were saying, oh, are they missing season eight? Has that maybe fallen off the schedule and they're just pushing ahead with 24? Uh, will I have to buy this from the UK? Oh, panic, panic, panic. And I thought, you know what? I'll just put on my old journalist hat and just get in touch with <laughs> Village Roadshow. And so I looked up the right people, uh, got onto them, and within a day, they'd confirmed, oh, no, we're, we're definitely doing um, season eight. We just haven't done the artwork in time and we've done the artwork for season 24. I guess that means just slapping on the Australian um, uh, classification sort of certificate or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and they'd got the season 24 stuff off to places like JB Hi-Fi, so JB Hi-Fi had whacked it up. Uh, but they confirmed me. They said, look, it's going to be coming out on this date. And so I went out there on our Twitter and, and Facebook and such and told people. And I actually had a, a few people reply and say, oh, good, because I was starting to, you know, worry. And I was thinking, should I buy this from the UK? And now I don't have to. So thank you. And then, yeah, a few days later, JB Hi-Fi uh, put it up on their website. So, you know, storm in a teacup, this stuff. It was, but it, there was a very genuine sense of, look, look, panic's too strong a word for a Blu-ray release. But, but concern, because... Although the Australian Blu-rays generally don't sell out very quickly at all, and often you can get them on the shelves months later, the UK releases famously sell out even before the pre-order period is finished. So I, I know I was sitting there thinking, well, if there's not going to be an Australian one, I, I need to pre-order a mm -hmm. UK one before it runs out. And, and, and look, I ended up doing that, and I'm going to keep that because, you know, I'm, I'm actually very keen for this one, and I'm sick of waiting months for the... Australian ones, but no, the Australian ones are up for pre-order now. Uh, and also, I was having a look at JB's site just before, and Revolution of the Daleks on Blu-ray will be out in Australia on the 24th of March. Hmm. Very, very good. And yeah, look, when it comes to these Blu-rays, not only do they sell out, but if you want to get them on the aftermarket, uh, the prices are just ridiculous. And I think in the whole history of doing the Blu-rays, they've only repressed one of them once, which was the original Tom Baker. The season 12 one. The season 12 one, because in the UK, a lot of people, I think, were very uh, nonchalant about it and didn't buy it. And then when they realised, that's it, it's gone. And if you want one, you're going to pay, you know, £100 or £200 or something ridiculous. They really cracked it and they cracked it so hard, they eventually got it repressing. But none of the others have been repressed. Yeah, and it seems to me continually bizarre that if they know they're selling out before the, the, the release date's even there, why they're not doing an extra 10, 20, 30% print? Because surely they know they're going to sell out even more. The demand's there. So 
I don't know what's going on, but look, the Australian ones are coming out and they're usually available for months. So mm. um, tip for our UK listeners, if you miss one, order from Australia. Absolutely. It's the same uh, region. Absolutely. We'll move on to our short topics then. I've got a couple and Rob, you've got a couple this month. Yes. Uh, in our continuing sort of series on looking at what particularly New Who production people and actors and doing post-Doctor Who, Russell T. Davies, the, the new series founder, creator, lord and master, had a new series drop both in the UK and Australia during the last month, and it's dropped in the US, I believe, in the last couple of days, and that is the five-part miniseries It's a Sin. Mm. Now, I did watch this one, and it was very interesting because I was quite keen and quite excited for this. I like RTD's work. Uh, the topic that he was covering, which was um, about the gay community and the AIDS epidemic in the 1980s, was something I was very interested to see uh, RTD's take on. Mm. But it clearly dropped online in the UK one, I think, Friday or Saturday afternoon. And I was watching my Twitter feed of all these people in the UK, Doctor Who fans, non-Doctor Who fans, Russell T. Davies fans, and my feed went from, oh my God, it just sends out, this is amazing, and then sort of the next hour or so was, wow, this is so good, I'm so in, in, enthralled, I'm going to keep watching it, and then just sort of watching this this despair mm. come through my Twitter feed as people were getting further into the series. And at that point, I thought, okay, I'm not going to binge this. It's clearly a very intense emotional watch. Yeah. And it was. Like, I'm, I'm not someone who particularly breaks down watching television. You know, I'll get a lump in the throat sometimes or feel, you know, feel it in my stomach sometimes. But but this, uh, this made me really, really just sad and upset at a number of points mm. and so I did spread it over you know about 10 days so that I could really engage with each episode sort of engage with the emotion and then give myself a rest and and come back it wasn't just sort of hitting me again and again but is it the best thing that RTD has done look I think it is definitely up there uh, I'm a big fan of the second coming that he did a long time ago I'm a big fan of his recent series a very English scandal but this has got all of Russell T. Davies' wit, all of his character, mm. uh, all of his emotion. It's it's all of that sort of thing in, in, and put into a really human and tragic series. And so I'm, I absolutely recommend this as being a really strong and powerful and important piece of television. And there is, in fact, a Doctor Who link. And look, I'll give a shout out to the guys on the Diddly Dumb podcast who were the first to point this out to me. Mm-hmm. There is a character in the series who is a up-and-coming young actor in the 1980s. And at one point, he turns up in a scene that looks very much like part one of Resurrection of the Daleks. And if you read the script, apparently, he is playing a character called Trooper Linden in a show called Regression of the Daleks, which is a nice little in-joke there by Russell T. Davies. But Trooper Linden is a reference to the actor Dursley McClendon, who was... Sergeant Mike Smith in remembrance of the Daleks and died of AIDS in 1995 at the age of 30. So yeah. I thought that was a very just gentle, subtle, but very, very um, touching tribute there to Dursley. So look, there's Doctor Who links there for you if you like. There, there are Daleks in this. It is officially a Dalek story. <laughs> uh, regression of the Daleks can be added to the list. But look, I, I just thought this was absolutely amazing. Um, Rob, I've spoken now for several minutes about this and it just shows how passionate I am. Have you engaged with this at all or seen anything of it? No, no, I haven't. Look, I'm actually a very bad Russell T. Davis fan. I've not seen The Second Coming. I've not seen Cucumber. I've not seen this. 
I've, I've not actually seen a lot of his stuff, which may be surprising to people uh, out there to hear. But it does interest me because I, I really enjoy the 80s as an era. I mean, I lived through this at a slightly older age than you. I still hadn't sort of come to puberty, you know, when I guess a lot of this was kicking off. But it, it did sort of... Um, still impact on me as I was growing up you know the the commercials we'd have on television and stuff just as I was getting to that sort of you know 11 year old 12 year old going into high school age bracket Mm. so it's kind of an an era and an issue that I lived through and I think I would enjoy is the wrong word because it's obviously a very heavy watch but I think I would quite like to see it at some stage but like i say I've, I've not seen a bunch of russell's other stuff so when i actually get to it who knows but it's certainly something i would i would definitely watch at some stage yeah absolutely i i understand what you're saying there robin and yes i mean australia had i think the first worldwide government sponsored hiv awareness program and it's mm. it's quite quite a famous one that um Certainly anybody who ever saw it will remember it. And, and, and indeed, our, our, our education courses in high schools as well, you know, the time you and I were going through was way in advance of what the UK was doing. So it does resonate not quite a lot on that level. So if you do, please tell us what you think of it. Will do. Uh, moving on, a, a quick short topic for me. I've actually had another uh, month off from Doctor Who on the whole, and I've been watching a lot of anime recently, Dave. I watched this one called... Uh, Le Chevalier Dion, which is, <laughs> it's very interesting. It's it's Louis the Fifteenth. It's uh, Robespierre. It's <laughs> it's some guys getting around, sort of like the Musketeers, but not quite. And a whole bunch of black magic going on. It's a very strange thing. It's historical, but alternate history historical. And and anime. And anime. Yeah, absolutely. That's okay. I I um. I'm not processing that. Yeah, I mean, I, when most people think of anime, they think of giant robots or they think of, you know, girls running around doing crazy things in school uniforms and stuff. This was like an alternate history thing. It was it was quite strange. But then I watched something called Aka 13, the Territory Inspection Department, and I don't know who this anime's been made for. It's about this guy who's just really glum and he gets around all these different territories of his country, just checking things out, just making sure government departments are working well. <laughs> and that's, that's pretty much 80% of the storyline, just this guy travelling around checking up on people. And I thought, who who is meant to be watching this? I'm kind of enjoying it, but am I the target audience? I have no idea. So that was a really another off-the-wall kind of... A- anime i watched this past month but i quite like it i quite like having and i I do this when i watch like the world movies channel on sbs and stuff i quite like having different views and takes on things and stories that maybe a western writer wouldn't write at all come up in in anime and in world movies and stuff I, i quite enjoy it sometimes i'm on a bit of a kick at the moment that's interesting um i'm i'm not a huge anime fan i have certainly seen some anime and i've certainly got very fond memories of some from when i was a kid in the 80s um and and two of my favorites are those quite famous japanese french co-productions the mysterious cities of gold which was Mm -hmm. set in the 14th century and ulysses 31 which is taking greek myths and um giving them a very modern feel and um certainly that first one actually now i think about it does sound a bit more like the mysterious cities of gold and so maybe it's not that off the wall after all 
Hmm. It was just one of these things I picked up in a sale on a whim and it sat on the shelf for a while. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to take that down and watch it. It was 24 episodes too. It was quite long. Interesting. Uh, well, look, I have been watching Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. Uh, I sat down randomly for no apparent reason a couple of weeks ago and watched The Sea Devils from Go to Woe. And I really enjoyed that. It's a story that has grown on me as time goes on because I do remember watching this as a kid going out on the ABC and thinking it was okay. Mm. Um, then sort of a bit later getting a, a bootleg copy from someone in Australia and watching anyone go and being a bit bored, particularly in the middle where you have very long sequences of the Doctor going into the diving bell and the diving bell mm. going down and then the Doctor's in the diving bell and he's in there a bit more and then they pull the diving bell up and then they keep pulling it up and then <laughs> and they open the diving bell. You know, there's, there's these quite long sequences. Yes. But that said, when I was watching it this time, they do pack a lot in. Uh, the first episode especially, they pack a huge amount into that. And I actually think it holds up quite well. I don't think it's anywhere near the best Malcolm Hulk story. I think he's got some much better ones there. But yeah, that was quite enjoyable. And I've also started on a season 18 rewatch, albeit I must admit I did not watch the leisure hive at the start <laughs> because whilst i really respect the leisure hive and i think as a piece of television resetting and re-establishing a at that stage 17 year old tv show it does a remarkable thing the mm. new graphics the new visuals the direction the music you know it's it's remarkable but i also find it very 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 dull <laughs> So I started with Megalos. I watched that and enjoyed that. I then went on to Full Circle. I'm halfway through State of Decay. And uh, my plan is that by the time we record our March episode, I will have done the full season and have a few more comments for you. But really, really enjoying it. Fabulous. Question without notice. Does the soundtrack of the Sea Devils just really grate on you or do you love it? Because they're the two sort of views people have of it. Yeah, I'm in the latter category. I actually really quite love it. There, there are a couple of moments that are a little bit weird, yeah. but but overall, I actually think it works. And particularly the sea devil theme, if you can call those noises a theme, but that <laughs> sea devil theme when the sea devils are on screen works really well, I think. Yeah, very good. Uh, look, to round out, my short topic is something I noticed uh, at my local Big W store. And that's that Big W seems to be getting out of the game. Uh, their DVD and Blu-ray section seems to have compacted down to almost nothing. And it's just a reminder to me in general, because I've been getting on eBay lately and scooping up old DVDs that I had never bought in the past and which are now long out of print. Uh, so similar to the Doctor Who discussion we we're having about the Blu-rays, if if there are DVDs out there in particular that you've not bought over the past 10, 20 years... Uh, just check up to see if they're still available. And if they're not, you might find yourself already needing to pay a pretty penny for them on eBay, and that's only going to increase in the future. This is kind of a public service announcement because I am a firm believer in as much as streaming is great and streaming is convenient, uh, if there's stuff you love, you're best off having it on disc. You really, really are. Yeah, I did see your um, public service announcement on social media a few weeks ago, Rob, and I did look at a couple of sort of those mini-series that I quite enjoy that I think may not get a, uh, a streaming release because they're you know, quite obscure shows from the 90s or whatever. So I did check a couple of those out, so yeah. 
Yeah, so, I mean, just as an example, recently I've bought um, Ripping Yarns, the complete series of that. That's still, Oh, fantastic. Yeah, that's still fairly easy to get at the moment, so that's not too bad. Slightly harder to get, though, is the Comic Strip Presents, particularly if you want the full set of the Comic Strip Presents. That's a, some great UK comedy there with a lot of the, uh, the Young Ones actors in many of those episodes. Yes, there's, there's some very memorable and funny stuff in Comic Strip. Yeah, stuff like that. Even things like uh, Life on Mars and Ashes to Ashes. Try getting a copy of those now, folks. Um, mm. you'll, you'll find they're actually hard to get. And this all just it boiled down to on social me saying recently, you know, there are people out there who say, oh, streaming is fabulous. I've got, I got BritBox, you know. I'm, I'm going to give away all my Doctor Who DVDs or I'm going to sell them. And I'm like, are you, are you like, seriously out of your tree? You, you actually want to pay a service fee for the rest of your life to have access to discs you already own and can watch for free anytime even though this content might disappear from the streaming service or whatever the fact that you've just got to pay for it monthly you've not factored that in and people are like oh now that you say it you know the rest of my life's a long time and i do want to watch this content yeah um there are some movies that i've sort of started to slowly move from the shelves to the cupboard mm-hmm and, and, and even in some cases, you know, take take them out of the box and just put them on a spindle to, because it's, you know, takes up a lot of storage. Because there are a lot of movies that, you know, I've, I've I watched at the cinema. I thought that was amazing. When it came out on DVD, I bought it. I watched it then. And 15 years later, I haven't watched it again. And I'm sort of like, well, you know, shelf space is at a premium. Yeah, I've archived probably a good 200, 300 DVDs like that. Into a, into a sort of a cupboard situation, and I'm ashamed to say I've probably got about another 500 still on display. <laughs> yeah, and it's interesting. I was thinking about this the other day. You know, I've got a nice box set collection of The West Wing, and I've got the original really nice DVD boxes of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Babylon Five. Mm. The, but but now, if I'm watching The West Wing or Buffy, I'm, I'm going to watch it on a streaming service. So I'm sort of like, is it time to put these in the cupboard? Or, you know, do I kind of like having a really nice Buffy set out on display? Mm. I don't know. Yeah, it becomes more like merchandise than something you're actually watching. But my strong advice is just hold on to it for now. Even if in 10 years' time, those Buffy box sets... And I have those ones too. They're the ones with three discs per box, aren't they? Like three boxes in yes, a larger they're, they're box. they're sort of all purples and greens. Yeah, and when you line them up, it takes up a huge amount of space. Uh, yeah, I have those too. Look, they could be worth a real pretty penny in 10 years' time, although with the way things are going for Joss Whedon, maybe no one wants to watch Buffy in 10 years' time. Let's not go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> no, no, th- no, that's fine. Let's get on to our main topic, in fact. Yes, stories for Doctor Who virgins. As I mentioned at the start of the show, uh, listener JT gave us the idea for this in our November episode when we were talking about Alien Worlds. And the premise was essentially, you know, if someone's never watched Doctor Who, what story from the first Doctor, second Doctor, third Doctor, etc., would you show to them and why? And Dave, we're going to tic-tac back and forth. We're going to give our opinions for each Doctor. You're going to do the odds. I'm going to do the evens. And I have said off mic, I reckon we'll snap three times. Yeah, I'm looking at my list and I think that's probably the case. So let me say at the outset, when I was approaching this, there are some that I thought of the Doctor and just the right story just came into my mind. And I thought, that's it. That's what I would show somebody new to the series. There are others that I've really wrestled with and I'll talk a bit more about those. Mm -hmm. But 
the starting premise I had is I'm not picking the best story. No. I'm, I'm picking the one that is a good one for people to get into the series. And also that is representative of that doctor. And I'll particularly talk about that when we get to Tom. Mm. But as you said, I'm taking the lead on the odd doctors, as in the odd number of doctors, although some of them are pretty odd. <laughs> good, good 1920s, you know, festival hall joke there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and the first one I really wrestled with was William Hartnell, because what do you give somebody to introduce them to the Hartnell years? Yeah. And I thought, you know, maybe I give them the Aztecs because that's, a really good, nice four-part historical. It's got the original TARDIS team that I thought, oh, maybe the rescue, because that's a really good Hartnell story. It's still got Ian and Barbara. It's a nice condensed two-parter. And then I thought, I really want to give them something with the Daleks. And I settled on picking the Daleks. Really? Yes, I just thought this is a really good adventure. It's got that original TARDIS team. It's got the Daleks, which is a big part of the Hartnell era. And I, I... I really hesitated a lot because I thought, it's seven-parters. Do you give a first-timer seven-parters? And then I thought, you know what? If somebody doesn't like and doesn't understand slower 1960s-paced television and they can't get through a seven-part story like the Daleks, then they're probably not going to enjoy the Hartnell era. So if they get through it and like it, then it's a great gateway into the Hartnell era. If they don't, maybe the Hartnell era is not for them. This is like a baptism of fire you're sort of giving them, Dave. Oh, it's a it's a classic story though. It's <laughs> I, I think it's a really really good story, and uh, I'm not going to dismiss it because it had seven parts. Okay, okay. So I assume from your um your tone there, Rob, that we haven't snapped on Hartnell. No, we have certainly not snapped on Hartnell, Dave. <laughs> Where did you go? I've gone with the War Machines. Oh wow. Now, I know this might be an odd choice as there are better stories. Yes, you know, we we just mentioned that a moment ago. But I think here, the contemporary London setting is really good and I think it would interest a new viewer. Yet it's surprisingly rare for Hartnell's era. You don't really have a lot of opportunities for this sort of setting. The concept of, you know, this computer that's linking to computers all over the world, I think is a really cool concept that, you know, if someone sees in a mid-60s black-and-white children's show, it's like, oh, wow, this is kind of like an, an internet sort of scenario. But it's the mid-60s they're talking about this. Wow, that's kind of interesting. And, of course, Ben and Polly are a great combo, and they come on board in the story. So, you know, I think I think the, the, the setting, a bit of location shooting, the concept, new companions, I, I think this is a winner for a new viewer. I must admit, when you first gave me the title, I was a bit sceptical because it is such an atypical Hartnell story. Mm. But now that I've heard your rationale, yeah, that, that makes sense. Very good. Shall we move on? We shall. You're leading us on the Troutons. Yes. For Patrick Troughton, I am going to recommend The Mind Robber. Ooh, I pondered The Mind Robber, but I didn't pick it. Why did you go with that one? Well... I know that being a Cyberman fan, you'd expect me to say Tomb or The Invasion or something like that, but I think Mind Robber is just the right length, and it's got a level of 60s weirdness that I think could be quite appealing to get someone into the the Second Doctor's era. You know, arguably it's his best crew as well, because I think most people prefer 
um, Zoe to Victoria, and I think Jamie and Zoe work together really well. Yep. And like other stories in my list, you can find better stories in his era, but again, as a first time, I think this has all the right levels of weirdness and black and white charm. It's just really watchable. Yeah, that's a really good pick. It is really watchable, and it, in fact, was the first Troughton story that I saw and was repeated here in the mid-'80s, and I think for a lot of Australians it was their first Troughton, so it did work. I did go something different, though. Okay. And I did go with a Cyberman story. I picked the Moonbase. (laughs) Very good. And I did it because I thought, you know what, Troughton, it's got to be a monster story. If it's going to be a monster story, it should be a cyber story. I didn't want to go Tomb because I think Tomb would spoil them a bit. And once you've seen Tomb, nothing might seem quite as good. Plus, there's a bit of problematic stuff going on in Tomb that you might not want it to be their first experience, if you were, if you know what I mean. Like you mm. know, Maybe you don't show them the episode with Toberman, the first yeah. thing they see. Whereas the moon base, I just think, is that wonderful 1960s adventure on the moon. And again, I, I hesitated because it is semi-missing story. But I thought, again, you know what? If you watch the Moonbase on DVD now, it's got the two animated episodes, and you what you don't have a problem with that. You're ready to embrace the Troughton era. Yeah, very good. Which brings us to the Perwy era. And Rob, when I was starting my preparation for this episode, mm-hmm. this was the first story that I, I wrote down. I just thought, John Perwy, it's got to be the demons. Snap. <laughs> See, there you go. Look, I think that for anybody listening to this, the reasons will be obvious. It is just that quintessential peak Pertwee era. The unit family's all there together and they all get to do something. Mike Yates gets to do stuff. Sergeant Benton gets to do stuff. You've got Joe. You've got the Master. You've got Azal. You've got polarity flows being reversed. You've got the Doctor on a motorcycle. You've got a helicopter chase. It's got an English village like... This is the Pertwee era, and it's it's not the best Pertwee story, but it's so fun and so watchable and so Pertwee. Yeah, you've you've just mentioned a lot of things in my notes here, so I'll just skim through the uh, the other stuff. It's not a ridiculous length, you know. There are some long Pertwee stories. It's Earth based, which is a Pertwee hallmark. It's like the Third Doctor's greatest hits. It's it's fabulous and. You know, the story itself is really good as well. We've mentioned all these, like, aspects of it. Like, you know, it's peak unit, it's it's Pertwee's best love companion, it's the master, it's all of this. But the story is really good too. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, I, I think I might be biased as this was one of my first loves in the Pertwee era. But when I looked ob- objectively on all the points, I think someone would have to be pretty brave to, to deny them, you know, because <laughs> yeah. it's all there. Yeah, I think if somebody watched The Demons and enjoyed it, they'll be very ready for the Perwi era. And and the Perwi era was one example where I did err away from the six-parters because some of those Perwi six-parters are an effort. I, I love them. I could watch them. But again, wouldn't make someone do it for the first time. Mm, exactly. Now, a tough one because there's so many stories to pick from, Rob. Where did you go on Tom? Oh, it's so true. Um <laughs> Uh, I was going to go to Pyramids of Mars for this, but I didn't. I've gone with something, and I'm sure this is left field. I am sure we will not snap on this. I've gone with the Deadly Assassin. Wow. (laughs) That is left field. Go on. This throws you into a story with no companion baggage. 
you get an insight into the Doctor and his people and their technology with the Matrix. It's a rollicking little tale. It's got the really unsettling content like the drowning and the laughing clown and the steam train, which I think actually gels more with what a mature TV viewer of today would actually think oh yeah that that that's pretty normal you know it wouldn't seem like oh it's it's too childlike mid-70s kind of you know pap it it's like oh this actually has something to it like yes it's from the mid-70s i can see that but there's some spooky weird stuff in here this is this is interesting and so yeah i have gone left field with this uh, very much so but i would i would try a doctor who virgin out on the deadly assassin yeah, look, that's an interesting pick. And again, your logic is impeccable. And you're absolutely right. I think somebody who grew up on films of the last 10 to 20 years would actually see a lot of the antecedents of those films in The Deadly Assassin. Mm. Um, the, the Matrix trilogy, for example, is a classic example of that. With Tom, I originally was thinking about The City of Death because this is a story that I actually have given to people, particularly who are Douglas Adams fans, and I've said, oh, look, if you like The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, let me lend you this show called The City of Death. It's, it's like, wonderful Douglas Adams, and people have enjoyed it, but I thought, if you bring somebody into Tom on The City of Death, nothing else in his era is like that. You know, mm-hmm. what, what happens when they then go to the Nightmare of Eden? And, you know, <laughs> they, they, they're going to spend the rest of their life wishing they can get back to the quality of The City of Death. Yeah. So I picked something, and I thought we might have snapped here, Rob. It seems we came very close because I did go with the Pyramids of Mars. Really? Oh, so close, Dave. So close. And I just thought, Tom Baker, it needs to be Tom and Liz Slade. It needs to be Tom and Sarah Jane. Um, as much as I like some stories from his, the rest of his year, it's, it's got to be that. It's got to be that Hinchcliffe era. It's got to be that gothic horror. It's got to be Tom at the peak of his powers, strong performance. And I just thought, Pyramids of Mars has everything there. I think that's a really good introduction into Tom Baker. Terror of the Zygons, Robots of Death, Ark in Space were all on my shortlist, Hmm. but Pyramids of Mars beat it out, and I'm very happy with that pick. Yeah, yeah. Country House, location filming, it's very Doctor Who. It really is. I think that's a good one. All righty. We're back to odds, and it's the fifth Doctor. You're going to go first. I have been wrestling with this one (laughs) basically up until we came time to record. Really? And in the end, I have picked The Visitation. Okay. I think that The Visitation is a very good example of Peter Davison. Again, it's not his best story. It's certainly not his worst story. It's just a good, solid adventure with Davison, with that larger TARDIS crew. It's got some really nice guest cast. It's got a really nice monster and an alien. It's got some nice location filming. It's got that sort of early JNT vibe of really making the production budget stretch and, and, and look like it's been well used. It's got the nice twist at the end of it, them being at uh, Pudding Lane in 1666 for the mm-hmm. Great Fire of London. And I think all of that would resonate quite well with a new viewer. And I think that if they enjoyed that, there are then some even better Davisons that they can start to get into and some weaker Davisons that they might forgive. Um, and I'll just say, actually, no, I'll let you give your pick, Rob, and then at the end mm-hmm. I'll just say what my runner-up that I was coming really tossing up between it and the visitation was okay well the visitation was on my short list so it might have been in the top three or four so we were a bit further away with the snap there i almost went with the awakening here which might be a bit odd but i've gone with kinder 
Yes, I thought you might. It wasn't the one that I had, but yeah, I thought you might have, Rob. Mm. And I've gone with Kinder because it's smart. And it's also kind of sexy when Tegan is possessed by the Mara. And I think these are both aspects that aren't present in a lot of the Devo era. So as a, as a bit of a treat to draw someone in, I think those things might appeal. Because, yeah, this doesn't have an old enemy in it. It's not a, it's not a location shoot uh, at all. It's actually quite odd in, in some mm. ways. But I think that would draw the viewer in with this oddness and this sexiness and the fact that it is smart. And I think they would see the Fifth Doctor being very Fifth Doctor. I, I think it could be a winner, albeit, you know, a, a backdoor sort of winner. You know, it's not it's not the most, not logical, but the most uh, top-of-mind thing, I think, that most people would think of. Yeah, I certainly see where you're coming from. It's a very clever and well-realised script. Mm. It's interesting that we both went for that season 19 aesthetic, mm. whereas um, perhaps you would argue that the... Dr. Tegan Turlow TARDIS team is stronger. Um, and that's why the one that I was really tossing up with was Frontios, which I think, although it's not Davison's best story, is one of his top two or three best performances. It has mm-hmm. got that Tegan Turlow TARDIS team. It is a good sort of interesting sci-fi adventure. So I was really tossing up between Visitation and Frontios, but like you, I went for a fun, classic season 19. All right. That brings us back to Evans and the Sixth Doctor... Colin. Yeah. Now, this was super hard because there's not much Colin. No. And I I ruled out trial completely because I thought it's just going to be too confusing for a newbie with all the cutaways to the trial. Yes. You know, so although it's not my favourite story of season 22, I've gone with Attack of the Cybermen. No snap? (laughs) No snap. No snap. I thought we might have snapped on Colin, but no. And, and that's because it's got a familiar villain, it's got some location shooting, there's some action, there's some gore, and again, people, you know, modern TV viewers might think, oh yeah, that, that's pretty good, that makes sense. It's a story that rattles along, and again, though, this was a super hard choice, I still don't 100% feel it. Part of me thinks, mm, maybe should have done Vengeance on Varos, but mm, I'm going with Attack of the Cybermen. Well, I did go with Vengeance on Varos. <laughs> And my, my second, my runner-up was Attack of the Cybermen. So no! very, very near snaps. And look, unfortunately with Colin, it was very much process of elimination. Yeah. As you say, there's not many stories. I think you have to rule out trial. You can't make somebody watch a segment of trial and neither can you say 14 episodes is an intro. Um, the Twin Dilemma, because it's just embarrassingly bad. Mm. Time Lash, because I don't think it's fair to the, the Doctor's era. Revelation, I know a lot of people like it, but it's not typical in any way of the Colin era. No. I think Mark of the Run is dull. I think the two Doctors is are too long. You're left with Attack and Varos, both very yeah. good, exciting stories. And I went with Varos just because I think it's got a better representation of the Doctor and a better representation of Perry and of the relationship between the two. I think that's a bit off in Attack. And so for a new viewer, I thought I'd go a little bit safer with Varos. And I also thought that the topic and the material of Vengeance on Varos would resonate quite well with a 2021 audience. So, yeah, totally see where you're going with Attack. Could have gone there myself, but Varos got the nod for me. All right, back to the odds. McCoy was another one that I really had to think quite hard about because 
what is a typical McCoy story? You look at each of his three seasons and there is a real different vibe to each of them. So how do you come up with something that is representative and fair? And I have picked Battlefield. Okay. And I've done that because I think that it has the darker and more complicated and more plotting aspects of the Seventh Doctor's persona from season 26, but it's still got a bit of that fun and comic lightness of touch from the earlier parts of the McCoy era, so I think it's quite representative. I think it looks really good. Uh, The location filming is really good. It's got a really strong guest cast. The Destroyer is something that comes in at the end, and it's, you know, the best of late 80s animatronics, and it Mm. looks good. Um, Gene Marsh, I think that the... Uh, King Arthur stuff again is fairly timeless you know whether you're a viewer in 1989 or if you're in 2021 you get what the antecedents and the references are in this story so I think it's accessible I think it's good I think it's fair again not his best but a fun middle representation very good and and look I, I agree with all of that I've gone with something super obvious though I've gone with Remembrance of the Daleks <laughs> 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 that that is that is the obvious one, yes, and yeah. fair enough. It's it's a big fun storyline. It's Daleks. There's some mystery. Ace is being awesome. The effects still look pretty decent today. Yeah, and this is true. I don't know anyone, and I mean it, anyone who has ever watched this and gone, yeah, nah, not for me. And it's almost unique in that regard when I think about it. You know, so you can point to more cerebral stories like Ghost Light or bigger adventures like Fenric, and they could be quite interesting too. Yeah. But I think this is just like an ice cream sundae. It just goes down so well. Everyone loves it. It's just the no-brainer one for me. Yeah, I totally see where you're coming from there. And and I think in common of our two picks is, again, aiming for that sort of middle-era McCoy. It's, it's not the season 24. No. It's not really the later season 26. It's just good, solid fun McCoy and yeah I, I'm very relaxed about that choice and could easily have gone it myself mm, yeah. now the next even Doctor is Paul McGann um, now I guess I picked the telly movie but Rob you've got a bit more to say as a McGann fan yeah look uh, you know maybe some obvious points here but they need to be said because outside of the, the TV movie you've got the EDAs the 8th Doctor Adventure novels you've got Big Finish for the EDAs I'd recommend someone just starts reading them from the start because they have this lovely retro beginning from Uncle Terence. He writes The Eight Doctors and then it's off and racing. And by the second novel, you've got Kate Orman and her husband, uh, Jonathan Bloom, writing Alien... um, Not Alien Bodies, Vampire Science. Gosh, Alien Bodies comes a bit later, I think probably about sixth in the range by Lawrence Miles. And that's something that blew my mind as well. Yeah, yeah. This this range kicks some real goals pretty quickly. There's there's some dross here and there. But I would recommend just, if if you can get a hold of them, because I know they're getting more and more expensive these days, just just read them in as, as best an order that you can. They're really good. It's it's a range that doesn't muck around. Big Finish, meanwhile, I'd say there are two logical start points. Either the, the very first of the Eighth Doctor Monthly Adventures, uh, Storm Warning, which is where he meets his companion Charlie, and they have a bunch of adventures together, or a later monthly adventure, Blood of the Daleks, where he meets another companion, uh, Lucy. And they have a bunch of adventures. They're probably the two starting points. There are later box sets that are that are great, but they're more expensive, you know. So you can probably get the the earlier monthly adventures cheaper. Start with the Charlie stuff or the the Lucy stuff, and enjoy. Yeah, look, I 
can't disagree with anything there. I think what you said about the EDAs from my limited knowledge is true, and I have no knowledge of McGann Big Finish, so I'll take your word for it and just give a plug as the resident Virgin New Adventures fan for The Dying Days, which is also a really good <laughs> intro to Paul McGann. Fabulous. Back to odds again. Back to odds. We're into the new series, and Christopher Eccleston... After I wrote down The Demons for John Pertwee, the next one that I wrote down was Dalek for Christopher Eccleston. Okay. And this is for the very straightforward personal reason that this is the story that really introduced me to Christopher Eccleston. Up until then, I was like, yeah, this is a really good show. It's well made. I like it. But I'm not sure I'm quite into it. Dalek was the one where I thought, yes, I'm into this show. I'm into this era and I'm into this Doctor. And... I just think it is a wonderful piece of television that I've never heard anybody say was bad. People have faults with bits of it, that's fine, but I don't know anyone who doesn't think this is a good, solid story. Yeah, yeah, that is, that is a real good one, but not a snap. Not a snap, okay. No, no. I've gone with The Unquiet Dead. <laughs> There's silence. Uh, my reasoning, it's, it's past the debut story. Uh, for Eccleston, so things are you know getting into full swing, but it's still early doors. So we're still seeing how amazed Rose is with time travel, which is important, I think, for um, a, a viewer watching. It's a it's a bit scary with the Gulf, and of course we have Dickens in this. He's marvelous. We have that bittersweet ending that oh he'll he'll be dead soon. So we've just watched this wonderful adventure with the guy, and then we get that gut punch that oh he'll actually be dead soon. It's just a marvellous little story, and it's on the good side of the Mark Gatiss ledger. I, th- I think you could show someone this, and they'd instantly get it. Some people have gone back in time. They're these ghost-like things. Oh, and there's Charles Dickens. It's, it's perfect in that sense. I'm going to say, Rob, this is probably the one so far I've most disagreed with you, or, or least agreed with you is probably really? a better way to say. I, I, I really take what you're saying about that excitement and enthusiasm of the new Adventures in Time which is fair. I think that whole celebrity historical thing is a good vibe to introduce them on, but I actually think you're not being fair to the Equiston era. I think that this is not representative of him at his best. I think it's still very early. I think it's still a little bit uncertain, a bit flat. And, uh, I'd be, I, I don't know, I'd be a little bit worried that maybe someone would see this and decide the Equiston era isn't as good as it is. Um... Maybe I'm being a bit harsh on the story. I don't know. This is this is one for the listeners to weigh in, please. What do you think of uh, mm. The Unquiet Dead? Is this a good intro? Yeah. Vote vote Rob or vote Dave. Yeah, no, please do. I'm very, very happy to be wrong on this. Um, no, that, that one does surprise me, I've got to say. Okay. All right. Shall we move on to the evens? Yes. Now, let's see if we can surprise each other with The Tenant Era. Yes. Similar to The Unquiet Dead, there's a historical angle to this story. It's the girl in the fireplace. I can't stand the girl in the fireplace. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think is worth hitting a virgin over the head a few times with this. Like, yes, look, look, it's historical. Yes, it's a spacey sci-fi series, but there's time travel. And this guy can go back, you know, hundreds of years to France or 2,000 years back to you know, the Roman Empire or whatever. I think the historical sort of angles are so important. But this also does some lovely sci-fi stuff with those clockwork uh, dudes so it's a non-arc single episode to me it's you know it's not the best story but it's it's a complete package in one 45 50 minute story so you know boom there we go look it's not my pick 
Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> evidently, <laughs> no, no. And look, look, I'm 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 self aware and honest enough to know that I'm in a very small minority on on this story. I know a lot of people love it, so that that probably is a very good reason to pick it. I I do agree that the historical setting is is smart. I think that the execution of the Clockwork Robots is smart. So yeah, look, it's it's totally a fair pick. It's just not one for me, which is you know that's fine. Interesting that we're we're diverging a lot more on these newer Doctors. Wonder if yeah. that'll hold up. Yeah, I mean we've only had one snap so far, but we went close a few times. We went close a few times in the classics, but mm. uh, we're we're way apart so far on the new series, and that's. I think going to be exacerbated when I tell you my David Tennant pick was Planet of the Ood. No, really? Really. I went there because, again, I thought it's David Tennant at the heart of his powers, but not giving one of his more outrageous and over-the-top performances. So I think it's a fair representation of him as the Doctor. I think Donna's, by this stage settled into the role and there's a good dynamic between them there and I know Donna appeals to a lot of particularly casual viewers so I think that's mm-hmm. a good combination to introduce them to it's got a nice little bit of morality and that RTD sort of moral vibe it's got some nice location setting I think in the cast you've got Tim McInerney who a lot of people will recognise and go oh I got him in the show that's, that's a good thing and that's that's a positive it's got that emotional ending it's got Murray Gold being Murray Gold mm-hmm. I think this is just a nice simple reflection of the Tenant era I was very tempted to go with um, the Impossible Planet two-parter, mm-hmm. but I just thought that's not a fair representation and would give people perhaps the wrong impression of what his era is like overall. Yeah. Whereas I thought Planet of the Ood was sort of that nice, typical, you know, middle-of-the-road tenant that would be a sensible and safe intro for people. Interesting. I've got to say, that's a story I may have only watched once in my life. I've watched it a couple of times. It is one of the tenants I have gone back to. So I, I get a bit out of it, and I think that, yeah, it's just representative of him. But but again, the tenant era has got three quite different seasons with three very different companions. So I did find it quite hard to kind of draw that line, you know, what, what is a mm. typical typical tenant story. Yeah, yeah, very true. I was, I was starting to look down at the specials, and I thought, oh, gosh, no, I've got to go a bit earlier in his era, I think. Because <laughs> by then, he is a very particular kind of doctor. Yeah. Speaking of having very different eras within yeah. the era, we're now into Matt Smith. Mm-hmm. And again, how do you define a typical representative Matt Smith story? Because Series 5 is so different to Series 6, then you get a whole different vibe for Series 7. Yeah. And I went, I went back on a number of options. I was really thrashing this out, you know, which companion do you want to represent his era? And and in the end, I actually went for a two-parter. Ooh. And I went for an early two-parter, and that is Time of Angels, Flesh and Stone. Wow, okay. That's got a lot of baggage, like bringing back the, the Weeping Angels and sort of some assumed knowledge almost. Yeah, I think that it's still fairly accessible, but if your problem is going to be baggage and continuity and arc, you know, what do you pick from the Matt Smith era? Um, Because the Matt Smith era is in some ways defined by that stuff. This is where the Moffat arc is absolutely at its peak, um, and there's very few standalone stories. But what this gives you, I think, is... Matt Smith giving a pretty good performance. In there, you get the Angels, which is important. You get River Song, which is important. You get Matt Smith giving a big wanky speech, which I think is also typical of his era. And you know, if you <laughs> if you don't like the Time of Angels, 
I don't think you'll like the Matt Smith era. Like, like there's a lot of lot of more Moffaty stuff to come. If you do think this is a kind of fun story, it's got that really nice, fun, cold open where River puts the engravings on the device that's going to be found by the Doctor in the museum, so he knows to pick her up and all that sort of stuff. And it's it's got Moffat's themes about the military becoming a clerical order and all that sort of like all the Moffat mm. boxes I feel are here. This is this is a thing that if you enjoy it, you're gonna enjoy a lot of the Matt Smith era. If you think this is just stupid, then the Matt Smith era is probably not for you. If, if you can't deal with this one, well my God, you're not going to deal with a lot of other stuff that's coming. <laughs> All right. Uh, obviously, we haven't snapped. Uh, no, you're, you're going to prove to me that there's a nice standalone easy one that I've overlooked, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, I am. <laughs> I, I really am, Dave. This was going to be The Doctor's Wife, but in the end, I went with The Eleventh Hour because The Eleventh Hour is essentially a reboot and it's just begging for new viewers to pick it up and see you know, how this madman begins his journey. The, the story itself is pants. It's terrible. But it's more about the big scenes and the set pieces of dialogue than it is trying to tell a really interesting story. And that's fine, I think. As far as introduction stories for a new Doctor go, I think this is probably one of the best in both classic and new Who. So, to me, it's hard to go past because it's designed for new viewers, Dave. Yep, very obvious and very sensible choice and can't, mm. can't fault you for it at all. Um, I did have the power of three bolting around a bit as a bit of a Ooh. standalone. Um, but in the end, I didn't think it was quite strong enough to be fair to the era. No, no. That's a, that's another one I think I've watched once. Very strange ending. Very just, strange just, ending. Just, just waves the sonic screwdriver and fixed everything. God, great. Um, yeah, but look, look, the, the 11th hour is a very popular and well-regarded intro That's yeah sets the tone. Mm. Matt Smith is Matt Smith from the start. So, mm. yeah. Um, interesting, again, we've both gone, though, for very early stories. I think Time of Angels is like his third or fourth episode well indeed a bit of trivia i think it's the first time he's in front of the camera yeah so it is interesting we've sort of got both gone with quite safe intros to the matt smith era which which is not to knock the matt smith era and if we sound like we are we apologize it, it's just that it's an era that it's very hard to dive into midway mm. yeah i mean i quite like smithy as a doctor his era though it's it's checkered anyway on to evens <laughs> And uh, it's back to me. It is. Twelfth Doctor. Um, here I am again with another Gator story. And it's not even one I particularly liked at the time, though it's grown on me a little uh, since it came out. It's Robot of Sherwood. Snap! Yay! At last! At last! <laughs> we, we, we can still have three. Yes, we can. Uh, look, I, I think this is funny. Uh, it's got Capaldi being a prick, but he's a funny prick. Yes, it's, it's a bit of an adventure. Again, it's not part of some big arc that a newbie has to understand. It's it's fine. It's a good thing. I, I'd be quite happy to put this in front of someone. I absolutely agree with you. It's a good standalone story. I think it's got a very representative but accessible doctor in, in, in it. As, as you say, Capaldi's got his rougher edges, but it's quite funny to watch. It's quite enjoyable. It's a very accessible story because of the subject material. Everybody knows about Robin Hood and his merry men, and everybody's going to be looking for that twist. You know, oh, I guess you're androids or something. You know, that, it works well. It's just, it's just a well-made fun story. Um, Time Heist was my runner-up mm-hmm. uh, for very similar reasons, but yeah, no, snap on that one, and that wasn't a hard pick for me, I've got to say. Fabulous. 
Which brings us to Jodie Whittaker, which was tough because it's the era that's on now. So I don't think we perhaps quite have the distance from it to really go what's typical of her era. So I just went with a story that I think is very good. It's very well written and it's got a very good Jodie performance. And that is, look, one of my favourites, if not my favourite of the era, which is Demons of the Punjab. Snap! We got three. We got to three. <laughs> um, look, there are there are there are bigger and more exciting stories like Spyfall, Fugitive of the Jadoon, etc. That I thought could have been in contention, but again, I, I think that that was sort of picking something that's going to let people down as they see more of the era. I just thought this is just a solid adventure and. If you don't love Jodie's Doctor, and if you don't love Graham, and even even the other companions get, you know, stuff to do in here, I think it's a really good way to just fall in love with the TARDIS team in this era. So that's why I went with it. Yeah. Now, I, I agree with all of that, of course, because I've picked it as well. I, I really like the haunting of Villa Diodati. But, you know, imagine trying to explain all the bits in that to a newbie, like, oh, there's, yes. there's there's half a Cyberman, there's a message from some guy called Jack Harkness who you've never seen before, uh, you know, and it ties into what comes next. It'd just be bonkers to put in front of someone. So although I love it, I couldn't pick it. So, you know, demons it is, you know, again, it's showing people the time travel theme. They're back in time. It's an interesting era. There's that dash of sci-fi, though, uh, although it's not too over overwhelming. I, I think it's near the top for Jodie, Doctor Who, and if someone wants a, a, a taste of, you know, peak Jodie, thus far, I think this is it. Yeah, I agree. And and also that not celebrity historical, but that event historical is actually something that is quite representative of her era. They, they do it a number of times. So, yeah, they have. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that this is clearly the one that we've agreed on. Well, no, no, it's not. well, this this and Robert of Shield is probably the two that we've really agreed on in the the new series. Um, so we only really split from each other in the uh, in the RTD era. Yeah, that's that's quite interesting actually. But we got three, and that was not a setup, people. We we have no idea what the other has picked when we do these things. No, I genuinely thought we might snap on Varos. I genuinely thought we might snap on Pyramids of Mars. Yeah, well, we almost did, and we almost <laughs> did, and and did the visitation. I, I didn't think you'd go there. I actually pick you'd go with kinder interesting though that yes we have come at this from very similar points of view and it's not a list of the best stories and it's not a list of intro stories it's just what you'd put down on someone and say if you like this then there's more of this to come and better of this to come but if you don't like this you know if you don't like the daleks Mm. you're not going to enjoy the hartnell era if you don't like time of angels you're not going to enjoy the matt smith era it's not it's just yeah that that's what i'm gonna say really yeah I'd, I'd like to do a social experiment and if people are out there with non-doctor who friends could you take our lists and, and pick what ones you like from our, our combined list and and actually put these in front of people and tell us what happens I'm, I'm kind of like mad scientist cackling here wondering what would what would actually happen absolutely and certainly do send us and tweet us your own lists and um see how many snaps we have with members of the audience all right, uh, we're going to wrap up the show. We've got three lovely emails from listeners and uh, and some other material. So shall we get in with uh, these these emails, Dave? I think you're going to grab the first one. I have got the first one. It's from John H. Thank you for writing in, John. Hmm. And he says, Hey, guys, I stumbled upon your show a few months back. I typed The Keeper of Traken into the Spotify podcast's search bar, and there you were. 
I listened, I listened to that episode, thought it was fantastic, and I have since poured through a substantial amount of your back catalogue while also getting up to date with the more recent episodes. It's truly been phenomenal, tons of fun. We didn't write this, I just want to make clear. <laughs> it's difficult to express just how much I appreciate the thought and prep you both clearly put into each and every topic. Thank you for the time and effort you put into keeping us listeners entertained and informed. I'm in my mid-30s and live in the northwestern US, a place called Yakima in Washington State, the not-Seattle part of Washington. Far fewer people, agrarian and desert. Um, the closest I've been to there is probably Idaho. I haven't been to Washington State, but I've, I've been near that part of Washington State. Yeah. Desert in relation to climate, also in relation to Doctor Who. Shocking as it may be, few people I speak to in my day-to-day life even know what Doctor Who is. The one or two I've come across who are aware of it have never seen an episode. In turn, be it chicken or egg, not a single retailer in this area carries Doctor Who anything. No (laughs) books, no toys, no DVDs. This has been the case my entire life, best I can tell. It it is only due to my love of other sci-fi content and that content's creators, who often reference the classic series as an inspiration or something along those lines, that Doctor Who became a fixture in my one-of-these-days watch list. Mm. After a prolonged period of being intimidated by the mountains upon mountains of Doctor (laughs) Who content, not knowing where to even begin, I finally dove into the new series. It was everything I hoped it would be. I truly love the show, all of it, even the clunkers, even the Chibnall era. I own every episode. I've watched them all multiple times. So the only thing left to do, of course, is dive into the classic series. I have seen a few stories here and there, purchased something like a dozen stories on DVD, but I've decided to stop all that and do it properly, from the beginning, in order. Today, my copies of An Unearthly Child, The Daleks, and The Edge of Destruction arrived in the mail. In a matter of minutes, I will be sitting down to watch An Unearthly Child, Episode 1, and probably Episode 2, for the first time. It will be my very first William Hartnell story. Wow, just imagine discovering the Hartnell era for the first time. John, I am envious of you. That's so wonderful and so cool. I am quite excited. Thank you again for what you do, and thank you for taking the time to read this way too long email. Be safe, be well, John H. Look, thank you for those wonderful things you said about the podcast, John, and good luck with the classic series. We love it. I hope you do too. Yeah, and and won't this episode be interesting, actually, because we've commented on the Daleks, for example. That was one of your picks. It was. Yeah. Ah, John, uh, let us know what you thought of this uh, uh, episode as well. All right, uh, I'm moving on to something from Ashley McFadden. She says, Hello, Rob and Dave. I have some discussion topics I would like to hear your thoughts on. I'm currently involved in a Doctor Who-based improv show at the Adelaide Fringe Festival. The premise of the show is that we will ask the audience for a suggestion for the title of a Doctor Who episode that we have never seen, and we will then perform that episode. I don't know how familiar you are with improv, but yes, it is completely made up on the spot, even down to who will be the Doctor that night. Similar to anyone who has written fan fiction, a topic for another show perhaps, it has been a lot of fun to work out how an episode is put together. I have loved being able to go in deep and work out what makes an episode of Doctor Who an episode of Doctor Who. 
Love to hear your thoughts on this. Which brings me to my discussion topics. Doctor Who on stage. I am aware that we are not the first Doctor Who to be performed as a theatrical production, as I know the episode Midnight has seen some success with some local theatre companies, and a quick Google shows there have been a number of attempts to get it on stage mostly unsuccessfully. Have you seen any of these? What episode or story would you like to see as a stage production, and why? And do you have a title we can use for our next show? Anyway, I've been monologuing too long now, it's starting to feel like some Chibnall dialogue. (laughs) It's fantastic. Uh, All the best, and thanks, Ashley McFadden. P.S. I love your podcast, and thank you. A lot in there, Ashley. Thank you for writing in. Um, To answer the questions at the end very quickly, I haven't seen any of those. I have seen friend of the podcast, Rob Lloyd, do a couple of his Doctor Who and other sci-fi related stuff at, for example, the Melbourne Comedy Festival, the Melbourne Fringe Festival, um, which was always fun. I would love to have seen Curse of the Daleks, the David Whittaker stage play back in 1965, 66 thereabouts. Mm. I have got the big finish CD of that. Which Doctor Who story would I like to see on stage? That's very easy. I would like to see The Massacre because I think that is basically a Shakespearean drama. It is people talking in rooms, so it would translate to stage very, very well, but it's just perfect stage dialogue. What about you, Rob? Yeah. Well, look, I'm, I'm going to say when this came through a couple of weeks ago before the Adelaide Fringe had started, yes. uh, I put a poll up on our Twitter feed. Uh, you selected a couple of stories, Dave, and I selected a couple of stories, and we said to our listeners, go forth and, and vote and tell us what Ashley should uh, perform with her pals at the Adelaide Fringe. And Carnival of Monsters won. <laughs> interesting okay how do you improvise a carnival of monsters is it like a bunch of monsters in rio de janeiro is it is it i don't know i I can totally see you know a a stage version of major daily and claire you know 1920s and all that and then a plesiosaurus comes in you know i could imagine a fringe show doing that scene that that actually is kind of cool (laughs) Uh, I also mentioned uh, in my email back to Ashley uh, about Rob Lloyd's shows as well and of course things like The Ultimate Adventure that was over in the UK John Pertwee and uh, Colin Baker shared the lead in that back in the day and uh, in terms of what I'd like to see on stage I think it's got to be I think uh, a more uh, studio-based kind of thing. It's probably why Midnight actually works as a stage show because, you know, Absolutely. you're just on, on that truck and, you know, it's, it's very studio-based. I was waxing lyrical about Kinder earlier. How about Kinder on stage? I mean, like a guy going absolutely bonkers, you know, losing his mind on stage every night. Wouldn't that be fun? You know, I'd, I'd quite enjoy that. And I've got to say, having seen a bit of, you know, musical and stage performances over the last few years, and indeed... um. Now, what's the Harry Potter one? The 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 curse of the oh. You've seen it, Dave. <laughs> I, I I know. Um, <laughs> it's the, the curse of the oh the cursed child. The cursed child, yes. Something um, like that. Yes. No. Look, I have I have seen the cursed child in in Melbourne, and and the the special effects on stage in that were so good, and I could actually imagine various innovative ways in which you could do the snake from Kinder, uh, probably better than they did it in the studio in 1981. <laughs> so yeah, that that would actually I think be very cool. Yeah, excellent. Third third email. Final email from JT. Hi, lads. Very, very enjoyable. 
Being a Kiwi who landed in Melbourne around the early 90s, I was indeed one of those brackets loser people who knew no one going to the conventions. Remember, these were the wilderness years where being a Doctor Who fan was a bit rough. Mm. Being somewhat shy, I never really met anyone and kept myself. Not being a much of an Ace fan, I didn't go to see Sophie when I saw she was coming. Thanks, Minotaur Books, for the advert. So found that part of the podcast very interesting. I have a bit of experience in my job of organising events like this, but never had to for a sci-fi convention. So I did enjoy them as a paid participant, be it by myself. I do have fond memories of meeting Lala Ward that was mentioned, and Fraser Hine and various doctors in Melbourne. So look, JT, you and I have obviously been at quite a few of the same events. Yeah. Wow. There you go. Flying to Sydney to meet Colin Baker, Katie Manning, Annika Wills, Janet Fielding, Wendy Padbury, embarrassing her that I named my daughter Zoe after her. <laughs> I would mention, marrying a pom, I also went to the UK and attended a few. A highlight, Dave, was a Blake 7 reunion with two Travises, Avon, Servalan, Villa, etc. Yes, I know they all have real names. <laughs> Points raised made me empathise with the organisational nightmares, and your commentary did hone in on maybe why I don't go to the big professional ones anymore. Four hours in a queue is not a great way to spend a day, although you didn't mention some of the great costumes I've seen at some of these events. I do enjoy that aspect, not that I've ever dressed up myself. No, that's a good point we didn't mention, and yes, people do really get into that. Mm. Good episode, especially knowing that I'm in Melbourne and how close I probably was to seeing you all and fond memories of meeting some of the stars of such a great show. Cheers, JT. Look, JT, yeah, look, we were absolutely in the same room for some of those ones and um, you probably saw me up the front doing something and you definitely would have seen Richard up the front if you saw a big, tall, loud guy up the front. That was Richard. So uh, in, in a waistcoat, I believe. Usually in a Doctor Who waistcoat, yes. So mm. you probably did see us. So that's, that's kind of cool. I will just say as well, thank you to everybody who on social media has uh, made some really, really lovely comments about our special episode in January with the guys from 42 to Doomsday about conventions in Australia. We've had people who are in the UK or the US and were genuinely fascinated about what the convention scene is like down here. And we had people like JT who are part of Australian fandom and were just enjoying the memories and the reminiscing or, you know, laughing at that story like, you know, when we lost the guest. So so thank you for all the really positive feedback. We, we really do appreciate it. Yeah, there was, a, there was a load of it on social, uh, which I was clocking every time it came in. Uh, just just huge. People love that episode, Dave. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm really pleased about that. So thank you. All righty. Uh, I'm going to take a moment now to try not to bring the show down, but I do want to mention something. And that's uh, that earlier this month, uh, my mother passed away. And uh, a lot of people out there who listen to us uh, know she'd been ill for a while. And uh, actually, it wasn't that illness that took her in the end. It was something else. So for the past few weeks, I've been dealing with uh, losing my mother, uh, helping my family. My, my father is quite old. Through arranging a funeral and all of that, and obviously attending the funeral and, and going through all the, the stages of grief that is, is so common and many people out there uh, understand very well. And I, I didn't put this out on Twitter. It was on my Facebook, though. So I just wanted to say uh, thank you uh, to, to people who have said kind things uh, privately, publicly, uh, etc. about it. It's, uh, it's a big thing in one's life, and uh, I couldn't let this month go by without mentioning that it, it had happened and uh thank you again to people who were so kind about it when it when it did 
No, thank you for that, Rob. Um, you obviously have all of our sympathies, and you know we obviously did speak privately um, you know, a couple mm. of weeks ago when it happened. It, it is sometimes hard when you're doing podcasts like ours to to know how much of our personal lives to share with the audience, who first and foremost are here to talk about Doctor Who. But yeah. when something like this happens and you do share it, you do just appreciate how much of a collegiate experience Doctor Who fandom can be with people all over the world through these podcasts. So it, it was a, a sad moment, but the reaction from, from friends and listeners was really lovely. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, people come out of the, the woodwork to tell you stories about their own losses, whether a mother or a, or a father or, you know, what whatever it might be in their life. And, you know, it's it's just good to... It's always good to talk, you know. Uh, Sigmund Freud used to say that, didn't he? You know, it's... <laughs> psychology was the talking cure and all of that it's it's good to talk these things out and uh really encourage people to do that when you when you're faced with something uh big in your life uh like this it's always always good to talk no absolutely so i uh, yeah, thank you to everyone for that and, and yeah good good luck to you rob for um you know the next few months which yeah. once once the funeral's over is sometimes the harder so you know our, our thoughts with you but i thank guess you. to pick to pick the conversation back up again mm. um i just want to mention very quickly a couple of things i'm watching i am working through each week the latest episode of wandavision the new marvel tv show i must admit the first three i was very skeptical on and it it did drift from okay the next episode's out i've got to watch it too i'll get to it during the week mm. um but by episode five i that was the first one that i've turned it off and just gone yeah that was pretty cool and oh, uh, I think it's really building up now, so I'm, I'm quite enjoying that. And for those people who are interested in the Muppet Show, and I think there is probably quite a uh, overlap between fans of Doctor Who in the classic <laughs> era and the Muppets. Yep. Um, if you're not aware, the entirety of the Muppet Show, bar two episodes, has now dropped on the Disney Plus app. It's interesting. I haven't dived in to binge watch it because I think, like a lot of sketch-based entertainment, there are some that absolutely stand the test of time and are hilarious there are some you go okay that that didn't quite work um interestingly enough for all the conversations we have about you know doctor who being problematic now and tone deaf and you know can you still watch it um some of these episodes of the muppets do come with a uh warning um one of those warnings that disney has about you know these were the attitudes of the time and they were wrong then they're wrong now but we're giving it to you to all the rest of them some of them i watch them and go i'm not quite sure what the problem with that one was then I watched the Spike Milligan one, and oh my god, I saw what the problems were with that one. Oh, say. really? Look, Spike Milligan is hilarious, but some of it you just go, oh, no. That, that was the times. It was the time, and it was especially <laughs> Spike Milligan. He um he pushed a few envelopes in his time. I, I love Spike Milligan just quietly. <laughs> oh look, look, I've got a huge regard for Spike Milligan. Um, but you would be lying if you didn't say that some of the envelopes he pushed burst a little bit inappropriately shall we say oh, of course of course <laughs> um, there's there's even a doctor who skit that we probably shouldn't even mention from spike Milligan. yeah let's not yeah <laughs> um but no look that that's been fun i've dived into a few muppet episodes and that's been good next month rob we are doing the first of our series deep dives for 2021 and yes. as always we're going to let the audience vote we're going to nominate two seasons each and we'll watch and talk about whichever our audience picks. I know in my two, I've tried to pick seasons that are not just a bunch of stories, but have a bit of a, a theme or a vibe or a tone that 
that maybe we can talk about. But yeah. Rob, as you usually win these polls, I'll let you give your two picks first. <laughs> yes, and and we we don't know what each other has picked. So again, if we get snaps, you might only be voting on three seasons or even two seasons. So let's see. My first choice from the classic era, Tom Baker, season fourteen. Not a snap, but I'm very cool pick. I'll happily watch that. Some great stories in there. My first pick is a Pertwee season, and that is season 11. A bit of a different Pertwee season. Oh, yeah. But a few to chat about in there, I reckon. Yeah, very good, very good. Uh, Moving to New Who, my pick is really left field because it's not quite a season. It's the David Tennant specials. Interesting. All the Christmas specials or just those last four? Just the last four. Just the last four. Okay, that is an out there pick. And my last pick is going to be season six. Oh, gosh, back to the black and whites. Back to the black and whites. So again, again, it's a very particular TARDIS team, a very particular vibe. And I think uh, a bit to talk about in that one as well. So we will put that up. We will have it go for usually about a week because we need enough time once we've had a winner picked by you guys. We need enough time to actually watch the damn thing so we can talk about it. <laughs> yes. um, and, and, you know, a couple of these seasons are, you know, what, 26 episodes plus. So, yeah. Yeah. so uh, we, will, we will need a bit of time to work through them. This um, is where we see how sadistic our listeners are, whether they make us watch 26 episodes of something or just four specials. No, that's right. That's right. So, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting. And, and, and does the, uh, the new series pick there get all the new series vote or, uh, or not? Or do people want to hear about some classic Tom Baker or or The Pert? Or Troughton. Or Troughton, yeah. Yeah. So, look, as always, guys, we will uh, go with your pick and we look forward to seeing your votes. Yeah, absolutely. But, uh, look, until then, I've been Rob. And I've been Dave. We'll see you next time on The Doctor Who Show. Goodbye. Bye. You've been listening to The Doctor Who Show. With Rob and Dave Find us online by searching for The Doctor Who Show We also love it when you write in Drop us a line anytime at Hello at the DWShow.net <laughs>